If you have a Bible uh, handy, you might like to turn uh, to page 1034. Over these last Sunday mornings, we've been looking at parables of Jesus from Luke's gospel, and today we come to a well-known parable, the parable of the wise and foolish builders. But in anticipation of that, we're going to read from verse 17, um, part of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. Luke chapter 6, verse 17. The Lord Jesus went down with his uh, disciples and stood in a level place. A large crowd of the disciples were there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear Jesus and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. And then glancing forward to number 46, verse 46 of Luke chapter 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, The torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. David, come on away up here. What a joy to greet you and to welcome you to uh, the pulpit here in Bloomfield. Not that you are unfamiliar with Bloomfield Congregation, because you and Doris have been part of our congregation for the best part of two years now. Um, And many people will know you, and uh, we're just thrilled that you're going to be our our preacher this morning. But... uh, David, tell us a little bit about where you're from and what you've been doing before you came to live in Belfast. Right, uh, I'll be as brief as possible. Um, We were both, uh, Doris and I, brought up in North Belfast. I was actually brought up in a a Methodist church um, until I was in my late teens, and then I met Doris, who belonged to Sinker Siemens Church, and she kind of dragged me into the Presbyterian church, and that's where I ended up. Um, I, I worked in insurance for some time where I found Jesus through 
another one of our retired ministers just saw Jesus in him and desired and was drawn to Jesus way back in my early 20s and uh, then the call to the ministry and I've been in a number of places starting in Kermoney I think 1972 sounds like ancient history doesn't it um, and then we finished off in a wee place called First Killy before moving to Bangor for eight years where I worked part-time in Trinidad came here two years ago and we waited for a while before joining a church until uh, one Sunday I shared with uh, an elder of Broomfield who I had known for some time that we were praying and thinking, he says, David, this is the place for you. So that's it. And here we are. David, we've known each other for a very long time and uh, uh, we knew each other from times in Coleraine as well. And you were in First Coleraine for a very effective uh, ministry there. So listen, we're just thrilled that you and Doris are here. And thank you for agreeing to be part of our uh, worship this morning. God bless you. Thank, thank you, so you for the opportunity to talk about the wise and foolish builders. Thank you. Thank you. Story is told of a rich industrialist in uh, North India who was horrified to find a southern fisherman lying leisurely beside his boat. Why aren't you fishing? asked the industrialist because I've caught enough fish for today, said the fisherman. Why don't you catch some more, asked the industrialist. What would I do with them, said the fisherman. You could earn more money. With that, you could fix a motor to your boat, go into deep waters and catch more fish. Then you would make more money to buy nylon nets then you would make more money and you'd have more fish. Soon you would have enough money to own two boats, even a fleet of boats. Then you would be a rich man like me. What would I do then? Asked the fisherman. Then you would really enjoy life. What do you think of doing right now? said the fisherman. It's a lovely story. But you see, this rich industrialist was offering this man advice about his life, how he should live his life. He was giving him a strategy for what he thought wrongly was a better life. The industrialist was, of course, in the words of Jesus, a rich fool. That's all he was offering to this man. We're going to listen to Jesus. Let's pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, our teacher, we gather around you now to sit at your feet. We pray that by your spirit you would speak your life-giving words into our minds and hearts this morning, and that you would work in us the grace of hearing and doing what you say is best. We pray in your lovely name. Amen. Well, that story reminds us that all of us live our lives from someone. You know, there's no shortage of life coaches around us telling us how to enjoy the good life. And here in Luke 6, where we find the story of the two builders, 
we're given a grand invitation to live our life from Jesus and his words. We're thinking about, tell you why, the words we have here, part of the sermon on the plane read this morning earlier on, were spoken by the greatest teacher on life who has ever lived and walked in this planet. And when Jesus talks about life, he knows what he's talking about and he's never wrong, never. And he wants his listeners to have the good and beautiful life we see in him when he lived among us, recorded here in the Gospels. Sadly, I would suggest few people find Jesus and his teaching as having relevance to the course of their everyday lives. So, for example, just last week, the president of the Philippines said, God is stupid. There are a lot of people who would agree with that. And you will know if you've read the Gospels that in his teaching, Jesus had a favorite topic, which is the kingdom of God. That is the sphere of God's effective rule, where what God wants done is done. It's done perfectly in heaven, sadly, not yet on earth. Now, the kingdom of God's rule, this is Jesus' vision. And so here, Luke's gospel, he demonstrates the presence of the kingdom of the heavens in his miracles of healing and deliverance, verse 18 we've read. These are his calling card. He's saying the kingdom is here. The kingdom is among you. That is, of course, in his person. And when they came to hear him speaking about life in the kingdom, Jesus tells them how to live their lives as only he knows is best, hearing and doing what he says. And that indeed is the point of the little pictorial contrast at the end, verses 46 to 9. Here's the teaching point. The only thing that matters when Jesus speaks his word is listening obedience. It's the only thing that counts for the 12 apostles. We read of them earlier on, verse 13. These men who dropped everything to be with him and also for, they're described as the crowd of his disciples in verse 17, who came to hear his words and to be healed. Crowd of disciples. Wouldn't we love to see that happen? Wouldn't we love to see people walking in one another to be around Jesus and to listen to what Jesus says? And if you read Luke 6, this sermon on the plain, it tells us how we find our way to Jesus, our foundation, and our rock. First of all, by trusting in him. It says in verse 18, they had come to him. They came to Jesus. And you know, beloved, that's all Jesus asks us to do. That lovely word he used again and again, the invitation, come to me just as you are. And they came 
placing their confidence and reliance upon Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin and entry into the kingdom of the heavens now as a gift of God's grace. And did you notice that the very first word Jesus speaks to those who gather around him is that word blessed in verse 20. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. The first word is blessed. It means to speak well of. It means to speak good things about someone that will make a massive difference to that person's life. Blessed, he says to these people, not because you're poor, not because you're being persecuted, but because you're really well off, whatever your condition, for you have entered into the kingdom of heaven through me. You look at them in verses 20 through 23. Conditions couldn't have been worse. Truly, this is a gospel for ragamuffins, isn't it? So first of all, they, they, they trust in him. But we find our way to Jesus, our foundation and our rock, by taking another step. This one's crucial. By becoming his disciples, Jesus himself says in the little story in verse 47, about people coming to him in order to be discipled by him. Now, I prefer the word apprentice. I think it's better. What is an apprentice of Jesus? Someone who has come to him, trusted him, in order to live with him and to be taught by him how to live in the kingdom of heaven now. That's the vision. And then, by being with him, to become more like him in every way. But you say, what does it mean to be like Jesus? Well, a number of answers to that, but Jesus says himself in John 14, 31, I love the Father, and I do exactly what my Father commanded me. That's listening obedience. Now, the sequence is important here because we read the story of the two builders and we get the impression that the primary aim of Jesus for his followers is to simply listen and obey his words. It is. That's true. But before we get there, we must make a clear-cut decision to become apprentices or practitioners of Jesus, people who position themselves as these disciples did, to be with him and to learn from him to do what Jesus said and did. I want to say this. No one drifts into an apprenticeship with Jesus. But when we become his apprentices, obedience, that is doing what Jesus wants done, will take care of itself. That's the order so you see, in Jesus' presence, we become the kind of person who does what Jesus says and who does it eagerly 
and who does it easily. That's what it means to be a good person in Jesus' book. So what does Jesus say is best for us? Well, you need to read and spend a lot of time in his instructions for life building, verses 27 through to 42. Jesus' essential matters for living a life that really works so that obedience, you see, becomes not keeping rules, but rather a creative act in our life that produces something new. Such as, for example, Jesus' very first words, loving our enemies. That's where he starts. You don't go far in life without picking up an enemy or two, isn't that right? And the natural tendency with an enemy, you see, is to either attack or avoid. And both actions are loveless. But you see, Jesus teaches another way, the way of love. And love is simply wanting the best for the other person. Tough call. You cannot love an enemy by mustering up willpower, gritting your teeth, responding to another challenge, trying to do what Jesus says. That's what I call the direct route. Doesn't work. Doesn't work for the simple reason that human personality, yours and mine, has been dislocated ever since the first damaging disobedience way back in the Garden of Eden. We are broken people. That's why, and I throw this out to think about spiritual transformation into Christ-likeness doesn't happen through passive listening to Bible teaching. There's much, much more to it than that. Jesus shows us a better way to being changed. It's the indirect route to become more like him. That is, arranging our lives around certain wise practices we see in Jesus, I could mention a number of them, and others, the way a pupil does with a music teacher. And you see, by engaging in these practices, we meet Jesus and we stay connected to him for grace to fuel our inner being so that we then, over a period, routinely do the things Jesus said to do and avoid, like the plague, the things he said not to do. That's listening obedience. And kingdom obedience is kingdom abundance. Life we see in Jesus, life to the full. Salvation is not so much about events, it's about a life. Now you say, well, I would love to be closer to Jesus, become more like him, to obey him. What are these practices that will keep intentional apprentices of Jesus close to him? Let me just throw out two. Uh, they're kind of cousins. And the first one, I think Beatrice hinted at earlier, talking to the children. The first one is memorizing scripture. That is, getting the words of Jesus into our minds. What's the point? Well, memorizing the words of Scripture helps us to keep the Lord 
before us, before our mind in the everyday. So we learn to bring the words and the scenes of the gospels before us as we learn to process the events of our day with him. And for example, the words here, the sermon, the plane in Luke 6, the best life strategy you'll find anywhere. I'd like to put it to you to think about. Memorizing scripture is arguably more profitable for the life of discipleship than a quiet time. And a quiet time is good and important. For you see, the whole of life then becomes our quiet time, a with God life, which is what it's all about from Genesis through to Revelation. And you say, David, I, I could never memorize parts of Scripture at my age. I mean, I can hardly remember what I did yesterday or this morning. Well, you know your mobile number, don't you? You memorized it. And you know off by heart the words of the two builders without looking at the words because you probably learned them as a child and they're in the hymn book, Presbyterian hymn book. Memorizing. The second practice for keeping close to Jesus, connected with him to receive his grace, is meditating on Scripture. Meditating is a practice that helps us to internalize the words of Scripture. It's getting the word into our mind and also into our heart. Do you ever notice how the Bible talks about meditation and then mentions obedience to God in the very next breath? Words from Psalm 119. Meditate on God's law day and night so you may be careful to do everything written in it. So, for example, you memorize Luke 6:28, just a phrase. Implore God's blessing on those who hurt you. The words of Jesus. You read them slowly. You read them two or three or more times. You ponder them in your mind. You tumble them around. You, you ask God to help you to percolate them into the heart. And that's where God's Spirit graciously does his work of making us into the kind of people who simply do what Jesus says, second nature. Meditation. I love the words of J.I. Packer commenting on the Psalms. He says, read them, ponder them, get them under your skin and into your heart and join the Christian Glee Club. Isn't that wonderful? Two practices, memorization, meditation, which keep us attentive to his presence, closely connected to receive heaps of grace, like a biomass burner, if I may say so. So we become obedient listeners to Jesus. Let's serve this. Someone has hurt you. you may be they may be happy to to see you out of the way, lost. Your tendency, said it earlier, is to either avoid or attack loveless actions. But then you see you have memorized the words of Jesus and you recall these words I've just mentioned. Words earlier on are, blessed are you by four 
Jesus says these words four times. You are really well off whatever your condition. And so you see, it's God's blessing and blessings in the depths of a renovated heart which then flows out to bless those who hurt us. So it will be on the tip of our tongue if we're progressing as disciples of Jesus to speak good into the lives of those who hurt us. And we'd be thinking of something appropriate to do them good. It's what's called embodied obedience, expressed in creative acts. You see what's happening? Jesus is blessing others through our words, our attitudes, and our actions. And here's the thing. For intentional apprentices of Jesus, the hard thing is not to bless those who hurt us. That's so important. That's where he wants to bring us to. For intentional apprentice of Jesus, the hard thing to do is not to bless those who hurt us. And then we come to the end of the sermon and this little story illustration and we know it's not a nice wee chorus at all. It's a severe weather warning. The lives of both builders are tested. Verse 48. So the foundation on which we build our lives has profound implications for the way we live our life now and for the future when we will all give account to Jesus the judge for what we did when we heard his words. When the floods come and the floodwaters rise and sweep down against the two houses, the rock builder will be totally indestructible. He has built well. The sand builder will fall down because, you see, we can't live that way, says Jesus. Hearing and not obeying, and Frank's title is Wonky foundations, that's what they are, and not be destroyed. And four times Jesus says again in his woes, means quite simply, it's trouble ahead for you. And when we come to his story, he says that for the sand builders to call him Lord, Lord, when it happens is sheer nonsense. Just lip service. Randy Wordley, Woodley, rather, is a, a native Indian Bible scholar in the United States. He says this Our First Nations people have heard the gospel over and over again, but rarely have they seen anyone truly live it. This man sees the Christian landscape, his part of the world, littered with sand builders. They hear Jesus' words, but they don't do them. And you know, brothers and sisters, the first thing we do when we hear words like these from Jesus 
will really determine as we leave here the kind of life we will live from now on, now and for eternity. And Jesus' little story here in Luke, as you know, it's been mentioned, is also told in Matthew's gospel at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. But it's Matthew, see, who adds the comment that Jesus' teaching was given a rare review by the disciples who were listening. It says that when Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying, quite a contrast to their religious teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. This is the best teaching you and I will ever hear. And Luke doesn't record this response. What he does, actually, is that he says, after uh, recording the parable, there's a story of a Roman army officer who recognized the authority of Jesus in his words and works and became an obedient listener to Jesus. It reminds us this morning, doesn't it, that we have the greatest opportunity ever in our local church and in every church to proclaim the good news of Jesus and his love. That is the availability of life in the kingdom of God's loving rule now. Now. Not after we die and go to eternity. It means also that the core invitation of our mission in the church is to proclaim this good news and to call on people to become active apprentices of Jesus from the time they put their trust in him. It means that every ministry, and there are many in this church I find out, from children through to seniors, is an apprentice-making ministry simply learning to do what Jesus said and did. And you know, this is the only thing Jesus has given us to do. This is the only show in town. For some years now, when I've been learning some of these things, sadly, late on in my ministry, I've been looking out for a sign outside a local church a sign which says quite simply, we make disciples of Jesus. And along with that, I've been looking for a church called, not to join, a church called Christ the Teacher. Ever seen one? Tell me about it. This is urgent and it's serious. Did you know that research over the last 15 years in this part of the world has found that 70% of young adults, 18 plus, are leaving the faith? Could I suggest that we're touching here on a major factor? We have not been making apprentices of Jesus who look like him 
in their attitudes, actions, and words. It's what has been called the great omission from the great commission. But I want to say this positively. Active apprenticeship to Jesus will work today and will still be working in 50 years' time despite the current decline in church membership we are hearing about. I want to finish off by doing something I don't do very often. Uh, I want to make an altar call. Billy Graham, people like that. Maybe a wee bit of a difference. In my imagination, I hear Jesus calling those who have listened to his words to live a life that really works. And he's making an altar call which would go something like this. Listen carefully. Jesus is speaking. Speaking to you. This morning, my dear friends, I'm inviting you to make a decision. The biggest decision you'll ever make in your life. First of all, I'm inviting you to come to me just as you are. Broken, abused, confused. To put your trust in me for salvation. That is the forgiveness of sin and life with me now in the kingdom of heaven. And then along with this, I think Jesus' altar call would go something like this. And will you enroll as my apprentice? Will you make a clear-cut decision to live with me every day of your life? To learn to live in the kingdom of heaven, the abundant life, as I show you how? And will you pledge yourself to find out, to spend time doing it, how to do this very thing? And most of all, most of all, Jesus says, will you love me with a full heart? Will you love me in such a way that you want to be with me, you want to stay with me for as long as it takes to find out what I want you to do with the life I have given you? That's the altar call. Is to come and be saved and be signed up, not the one without the other. Will you answer the call today? And will you really enjoy life? Where did I hear those words? Ah, the rich Indian industrialist. Life on the rock. And that rock is Jesus. Let's pray. We've listened to the best words about life we'll ever hear. I'm going to help you to make a personal response to 
Jesus, our Lord and our teacher. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your solid, unshakable words upon which I can confidently build a life that really works. I come to you. I come to you now just as I am for the forgiveness of sin and life in the kingdom of the heavens. I come to you now just as I am for an apprenticeship to you to learn to live with you the way of kingdom love. Make me more like you, fully alive. I pray in your name, my rock and my salvation. Amen. We pray together. And as we bring our morning offering, so we pray, Heavenly Father, that it will represent not just the money that is in our wallets and purses, but will represent all of our being in glad surrender to you. We want to pray for one another in our intercessions. Very particularly, we would like to pray for James and for Heather in anticipation of their marriage together next Saturday. We thank you for them. We thank you for the way in which you have drawn them to each other. And we pray, our Heavenly Father, that as they are united together in your love, that they will build their lives, they will build their marriage, they will build their home on the strong foundation of Jesus and his word. And that is our prayer, our Heavenly Father, for each of us, for members of our families and our church family, who we know are in a special need at this particular moment in time. And for ourselves in our own fragilities and vulnerabilities, for our church community with all its cares and concerns. Heavenly Father, we pray for the uh, large group of young people, over 30, away with Reuben, uh, even as we speak at Summer Madness. And pray for them, for each one of them, gracious Lord, that they would build their lives on nothing less than Jesus, the cornerstone. And for all our teenagers and older people preparing for numerous acts of service this summer in camps and CSSMs and holiday clubs. Gracious Lord, will you be pleased to bless. We pray, our Heavenly Father, that we would know what it is ourselves to um, memorize your word, to meditate on your nature, your character, 
so that in every context, every situation, we may become more like our Saviour. And finally, we want to pray for people whose work is especially difficult during this hot weather, including firefighters engaged in putting out gorse blazes, people in the emergency services, those involved in plumbing and local government. As this weekend, we thank you for the privileges of the National Health Services Service. So we pray for people and nations throughout this world coping with famine and awful problems, refugee issues, suffering and war. Very especially, we pray for the Fulani herds people in northern Nigeria, where recently 200 people were killed and many more displaced. Dear Lord, for protection, for peace, for justice, we pray. As we bring these people and places to you, so along with the people of God throughout this world, we choose to place our trust in Christ and in him alone. And what we pray is for his glory.